From born in the USA to death to my hometown, this is you springing Springsteen on my bean? On my bean? The comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things Da Boss. This is good rock and roll. Music. Da Boss. Is that what you said? Da Boss. (laughs) Da Boss. Da Boss. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. If this is your first episode of You Springing Springsteen on my beam, welcome to our new listeners. Um, my name is Scott Ackerman. I'm the host. I'm in pole position. Hmm. Interesting. For uh, You Springing Springsteen on my bean. And uh, coming up uh, just slightly behind me to my left. Uh, is a man who uh, is a uh, hmm. fan of uh, the boss and uh, and uh, a fan of a lot of things, actually, in life. You know what I'm not a fan of? What's I'm looking at the back of the box set mm-hmm. of the uh, album we'll be talking about today. And down at the bottom of the page, it says, Bruce Springsteen, dot net dot net yeah he couldn't get dot com couldn't get dot com i know i wonder what here let me let me look up what happens when i if this is 13 years old but it still is bruce springsteen dot net it is really yeah so let me look up dot com what happens um branded merch it's just like some some squatters site where uh uh, bruce springsteen concert tickets (laughs) it's just the most they couldn't outbid them huh yeah I don't know. I wonder what they were asking for. They must be real dicks asking for way too much money. Yeah. I bet uh, Bruce Springsteen was trying to make all of his um, Mike Appel settlement money back. That's right. (laughs) With the website. Um, We'll talk about that a little later. But uh, please welcome um, my co-host. You know him from television and movies. Uh, No stage work, I don't think. You haven't been on stage in a long time, have you? Not for a while. You want to get back to Broadway? You want to tread the boards? You know, there's something I've always said about being on stage, Hmm. which is, you know, being on stage and being in a production of a play, Hmm. it's like walking a tightrope. Being in a film or a TV show, it's also like walking a tightrope, except the tightrope's been laid out on the floor. (laughs) Wonderful. You know? So there's no pressure and it's actually very easy. Yeah, but... it. The middle, the very middle of your foot starts hurting after a while. Yeah. If you, if you act long enough, the middle of your foot starts aches. Yeah. Just aches very, and, and no, no one's foot has ached more than this guy right, right here. He's been in so many things over the past. Middle of my feet are worn out, (laughs) but I do love movies and television shows. That's the thing. Why would you ever want to go to Broadway and be on a Broadway show when it's like you can get paid way more? And work way less just being in a TV show and a movie. And get to do it over and over again till it's not shitty. <laughs> uh, you know him as the formerly known... I thought you were uh, going to say as the Fonz. As the Fonz. You know him as the Bronze Fonz. He's the statue who came to life. Please welcome Adam Quadrero, a.k.a. Adam Scott. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. 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 Hi. Hi, 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 hi. Um, Adam, 
you went to New York over the week. Uh, New York City. I, uh, oh, was it New York City? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even yeah. know that part of it, really. I thought you yeah. went to Albany. No, I went to New York City, but I always try and make time for Albany. Always. You got to make a trip up there. Just because of Nexium. I always want to <laughs> get us See, I, I missed the whole Nexium stuff, so I, I know the barest. Well, their headquarters was were in Albany? Albany, and so I try and go up there and just uh, check in with everyone. Check in and uh, pay respects. See if they still have their branding. That's right. I try and visit the old <laughs> office park where they <laughs> had their gross headquarters. I don't know anything. And where they played volleyball. They played volleyball. See, this sounds Every fun. night. Volleyball. Every night, though. Every oh, night. I don't know about that. Um... And you were, uh, uh, you, you, you told me you saw a band while you were there. Um, could you be a little more specific? A musical band, not a wedding band. Um, well, with no wedding band. Be- oh, wedding band, like a ring. Like a ring. Yeah. Well, Isn't I saw it. Funny I, that you get a wedding band. It's so weird. When you get married, but you also pay a wedding band. I mean, without that distinction, the wedding singer as a film mm. wouldn't work doesn't work at all and and how whoa, many times whoa, whoa, is it i'm what? sorry oh is this an episode of i love films i guess it is hey everyone welcome to i love films this is scott and this is scott and we're talking about the art of celluloid film making film making the aperture not the aspect ratio not movies not flicks Although, every once listen, in a while. Listen, I like to kick my shoes off. Sure. And enjoy a good uh, Hollywood blockbuster every what once kind in a while. What shoes are you wearing these days, by the way? Uh, they they kick off super fast. Those are kickoffs? They're, these are, you've never seen a kickoff? I've never seen a kickoff shoe. Okay, check this out. It's off. Ow! Are you okay? <laughs> Why do that, that right in t- my face? That was timed really well. Are you all right? <laughs> Oh my God! You you already have a black eye. I have a black eye. I have the imprint of a shoe oh. on my face forever. I hope this, not. No, these kickoffs they leave permanent marks. No, That's, the 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 soles are covered in Sharpie ink. Oh no! Why would you do that to I'm me? I'm so sorry. How am I going to ever pick up my acting career after the strike? Well, we can cover it with makeup. Okay. All right. Uh, let's no, try just it. Kidding. Did you Makeup some... does not work for for Sharpie ink. Oh. Well, I guess I could find my niche as like the guy who is always kicked in the face with a shoe in every role. Or punched. You can be the guy that gets punched. There are tons of punched? punched roles. So wait, so how does this work? Like I have my back to the camera and then someone <laughs> punches right. me. In your first scene. So you have it for the <laughs> I whole I always have film. It my back to the camera. Someone punches me. And then people are like, you have the imprint of a shoe on your face. You're like, you were just punched. Did you? But well, that's the thing is you have to adjust it. So the guy that punches you has his is hand, wearing a shoe his, on his hand, hand. Well, his hand looks like a shoe. His hand looks like. So now I need to find another actor who had a similar accident where his hand looks like a shoe. It's not impossible. And it might be a bit rare, but they're out there. <sighs> okay. If Look, if you're an actor out there and you have a hand that looks like a shoe, please contact me because I think we... Our paths are inexorably listen, linked at this point. Listen, I've been in show business a while, and I'm going to be honest with you. You have a big problem. <laughs> My but, career's over. But again. no, it's not over. It's never over, Scott. It's never over. 
it's going to be tough. I'm just would, playing would it you, straight. Because this is your fault, would you do me a favor and would you surgically alter your hand to look like a foot? Absolutely. I will do that for you. Thank let's you. Do, let's do it. And not just a foot. Oh, wait, let's do it now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, 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 I just have a general anesthesia. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. But the thing is... <laughs> okay, well, I'll just fix away his hand here. <laughs> oh, I think he's out. Okay, do you feel this? I wonder if he feels this. I think he's okay. All right, a little snip here. Mm. We'll uh, tie this off. And, uh, and, uh, smell the uh, results. Wake up. Uh, uh, <clears throat> anyway, as I... Wait, what, what happened? Notice anything different? Uh, <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Looks. Why does my hand look like a left-footed converse? We, do, you don't remember what we discussed, what we agreed upon before? Who are you? Oh, shit. Uh, see my face? Yeah, I see your face. We're Who an acting, are you? We're an acting team now. My oh. name's Scott Ackerman. We're, we're a team. I'm going to be in Severance. Oh, and we, we act together. We act together. You're the guy who punches me in the face. Okay. Every episode. Okay, so you're going to be alongside me for everything for every, I do. Every scene, yeah. What about when I go home at night? Oh, I'll be there. Okay. Great. Bye. Bye. So wait, Good. that was called I Love, I films? love films? I guess. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Um, why were we even talking about films? I don't know. Anyway, uh, New York City. Know. Oh, oh. It's the the uh, the fifth character of the movie Manhattan. Fifth character. Oh yeah. Well. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's so yeah. many movies where New York City is sure uh, the lead character, as sure. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, above the title sometimes. New York City in. Yeah. New York New York City starring in <laughs> Sex in the City. For one, that's one sure. example. Yeah. Manhattan. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what are other New York movies? I can't think of any other one that's set in New York. Um, oh, the, uh, the Little Island That Could. Oh, yeah. The Little Island That Could is good. Oh, wait. Uh, Oklahoma? Yeah. Okay. We Technically. Could say, yeah, that's New York. A lot of those people probably hey, at least old, visited. Right? Yeah, sure. They've been there. I mean, they, they talk about Kansas City. Everything's up to date there. So it's I'm not sure, too much of a stretch to think they went to New York. That's right. And I'm sure they dream about New York City. Sure. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Oh, what a great town. Ah, the Big Apple. I don't know what that is, why you would ever mention a piece it's of It's a fruit, nickname but... that I like to use sometimes. Okay. It's kind of weird. Right. But but I guess my point was, before we heard that episode of I Love Films, how many times does it ever happen where the the officiant is up there at the altar marrying mm-hmm. two people, and he says, can I have the wedding band, please? And suddenly, mm-hmm. eight people stand up and go, is it Yeah. What song is that? That is Dixieland Jazz. It sounded a little like you were doing the dun 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 yeah, that's dun, right. dun, dun, dun dun Well, that's the traditional I, wedding I march. I love when that's played in a wedding. Dun 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 get everyone in the mood for love. Okay, it's time for the father of the bride's first dance. Um, I saw. Yeah, you know what? I went to a party and the Strokes played. 
in New York City. Wow. What yeah. kind of party is this that the Strokes play at a party? Was this like a backyard party? Or? By the way, talk about a New York band, right? Oh, my God. These guys just, they, they reek of New York. They sure do. You they look reek. at them, you look at those guys, and you just think, New York City. Oh, my God. They you know? smell like the alleys of New York City. Yeah. The streets. The streets. They smell like the vomit on the sidewalks of the Lower East Side. Yeah. And they look like skyscrapers. They look so much like the Empire State Building. They do. Even, there's, in fact, uh, Tom Hanks is on the top of one of their heads kissing yeah, Meg Ryan. It's, it's so, so crazy. crazy. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, yeah. So it's like watching like five, five, five Empire State Buildings walk out on stage Incredible. and just rip it up. Incredible to watch five buildings play five music. Buildings, that's the dream. Did you have you ever even seen a building try to pick up a guitar? I've never even seen one building play music, right? Let alone five, five. Empire State buildings playing simultaneously. It was really cool. That's so nuts. Uh, they Did were they great. Play your favorite Stroke song? They played. Uh, yeah, they did. Which one? Well, currently it's "You Only Live Once," and mm. they played it. You think they'll do a sequel to that? You only live twice. Mm, I hope so. I hope so. What's the sequel to that, though? You only live three times. Thrice. <laughs> I like three times. I like I like how it's like thrice rhymes with twice. Mm-hmm. But then let's keep it going. You know, yeah. quarice, quarice, quinice, quice. You know, and then size, feist, feist, six ice. Six ice, Bud Ice. Bud Ice. That's where they got the name for Bud Ice. Yeah. You ever drink Bud Ice? Oh, man. Love it. You stopped drinking Budweiser, though. You were telling me about uh, somewhere around a few months ago for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) You stopped drinking Bud Light? Yeah. (laughs) You had some issue with the company? I don't don't know exactly what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They really upset me. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. but That's right. Took me a second. I forgot about that wonderful controversy. <laughs> dumb, stupid shit. <laughs> um, and uh, now you're back. We're back in the same room, and we're yeah. uh, we're rubbing elbows again, talking about the boss, the boss. Um, and I'm gonna stop doing that. And our uh, uh, our episodes have come out uh, since uh, we last did an episode, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, people are raving about it they're so happy we're back and we're talking about a fellow podcaster um bruce springsteen of course um his podcast with obama oh you're right <laughs> are they they're not still doing that i hope i i i hope i i wish it was a weekly thing me too where they're just like they ran out of stuff to talk about in their first six that they did yeah you know where they were like all you know where it was like heavily edited and heavily scripted and all that kind of stuff and then they were like let's just bro out every week and yeah, that's then- that's what I mean, I listened to it, and it was, but they were talking about like America and yeah. work yeah. and family. It'd be so funny if they just did what we do, where it's like catching up with, "Hey, what'd you do this week?" Yeah, like that's the podcast I want to hear. Obama. I feel like everyone would listen to that. Oh no, that w- it would. I mean, it's so funny when these these guys they they go like, "Oh, what do people want to hear? What do we, uh, you know?" And the thing people would listen to is the thing they don't want to do the most, right. which is just like chit chat. Yeah. But speaking of chit chat, our episodes have come out and we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs. Sure. 
as we are wont to do. Yeah, listen, they're there. We've got thumbs. Phones on. Phones on. Not on vibrate either. No. No, we-, we Full blast. Full, full blast. And we're going to so many movies and they're just ringing and ringing. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It, there's a strike going on. So any call that comes in is going to be super important. That's right. And also, we're disrupting these studios. We're, that's right. we're that's, Disruptors. During the strike, we go to so many movies, keep our phones on. Yep. And just- That's play, how you get them. Play loud games. That's how you get them. Oh, man. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back. And we're here yeah. talking about Bruce, but we're twiddling our thumbs and he has not contacted us. And Wait a second. Are you serious? I'm totally serious. And you know what? What it's, the fuck? It's just like the strike. The longer the AMPTP takes, our demands start going yeah, up. I mean, There's a price to pay for your uh, not getting back to us, Bruce. We have no choice but to up our demands. What do you want out of Bruce this time? I mean, honestly, I'm running low on Topo Chico. Yeah, you have half a bottle in front of you. Yeah, but I... You'd rather have that than a frontal lobotomy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Shit, bro. When I was doing a draft of uh, uh, on Mr. Show, Dino had, uh, I think it was Dino's idea. He had the idea for um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Jekyll, which was uh, he drinks a potion and um, falls down behind the desk and suddenly his diploma disappears off the wall and he just loses his doctorate. And we w- went through a bunch of drafts, and then I was trying to draft a musical version of it uh-huh. uh, for one draft. And I just remember one of my <laughs> lyrics was, and I'd, it was in regards to the potion that he was about to drink. He was singing, and I'd rather have this bottle in front of me than perform a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> Did that sketch end up? making it no i don't think so Um, didn't sound familiar one of of the classic ones along with officer lady guts that never got uh, what was officer lady lady guts that was uh i think that was based that was the only sketch based on a costume yeah that we had which was conan i think had a sketch that they wrote conan jenkins conan jenkins yeah um incredible sketch performer from the midwest um had a sketch that that he wrote and they were gonna film where it was like uh what's the doll where you could see the insides of a person um chucky yeah no that's when i say the insides of a person i don't mean the the person that the doll has murdered oh um the oh like the the actual doll itself you mean you could see like the the, stomach and yes yes uh, i don't know what those are called uh, for some reason, I want to say slim good good body, but that was the the guy with the the suit on that right with curly hair. Okay, so that so that was that was the character that they had. Okay, and then they they made a they made a female version of it because they were going to have him get together with a female and it was pregnant, <laughs> and you could see everything inside her body, yeah, sure, and including the fetus and all uh-huh. that, and uh, they tested it out on camera and they're like this is too disgusting to i do to, uh, to, to do this sketch so they nixed the sketch but yeah. then they gave us the costume yeah and so everyone was trying to write a sketch to the costume yeah of course you can't waste this incredible, <laughs> incredible costume. costume so i just and this is before my time on the show there was a draft of something called officer lady guts <laughs> which was a motorcycle <laughs> cop who had this body <laughs> 
and they could never find like it was never saying anything yeah you know uh, like this it was just silliness so they never ended up uh being happy with it and just oh tossing my god it i would love to read a draft of that i wonder if i could get it from david i don't know but, and i uh, wonder if uh if that costume is still around somewhere i, I wonder it's so funny because when when we were writing on that show we did every everything was on floppy disk you'd save all so i have all these floppy disks from back then but with no like way how to do you, how do you read yeah. them you know you don't use floppy disks anymore no i, I basically i use floppier disks they're oh like yeah they're so way floppier. floppy i and you have to get them damp yeah just to get them really floppy <laughs> by the way speaking of making flippy floppy mm. the new um Talking the new stop making wait, sense. Wait, 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 wait. Is this is this an episode of you talking talking heads to my talking head? I believe it is. From something to something else, I don't remember. This is you talking talking heads to my talking head. The comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things talking heads. This is good rock and roll music. Hey, this is Scott. And this is Scott. I think it was like from once in a lifetime to. Oh, yeah. To something else. I don't remember. To. I actually have no idea. Yeah. God, I wish I could remember, though. I don't. I mean, why? Why do you wish that? It's It's my greatest regret. Okay. So anyway. Stop making sense uh, is being re-released into uh, good old movie. good old IMAX you know what? theaters. Movie yes. theaters, finally. It's like church, okay? I feel like this is an episode of I Love Films. I think it might be. Hey everyone, welcome to I Love Films. This is Scott, and this is Scott. And okay, so you're. Your hand looks like your hand looks like a uh, sneaker. Yeah, and you know what? I'm, I'm learning to live with it. For okay, one thing, so I mean, can you call your agent and get me represented, and we're going to be a duo act now? Absolutely, <laughs> we're going to make this work. Okay, call your agent okay. right now. Okay, hold on. Okay, it's ringing. Hello. Uh, yeah, is uh Debbie there? Who's the people I ask is talking? Uh, this is your client, Adam Scott. Um, Adam Scott? Yeah. From? From Boy Meets World. Boy you... Meets World? Oh, did, did, were you the boy in Boy Meets World? No, I, I played a character named Griff Hawkins. Griff Hawkins? He sounds really cool and handsome. He was super cool. Girls really like, they, you know, you'd be followed around by... Oh, Never mind. My panties are dropping. Just Jesus about Christ. Okay. Debbie, yeah. we're getting off track. Wait, I'm not Debbie. I'm Debbie's assistant. Oh, uh, what, what's your name again? My name is Marlifula. I'm sorry, Marlifula? Marlifula. You got to say it like that. Marlifula, like you're singing. Marlifula. Yeah, you got okay. it, honey. Oh, my pants are just dropping. Oh, God. Listening to Marlif- you sing my name. Uh, can, can I please speak to Debbie? Um, no. W- really? Yeah, sorry, no. I, I'm not wearing any pants or panties oh now. Okay. I can't go into the okay. other room no. and talk to her. Marlifula, I'm hanging up. 
But you don't have to tell I me. Feel I feel like be, I'm going to be liable for something I if I stay. I would hear the click. You don't need to tell me. Are you hanging okay, out? Okay, click. What what happened? I, well, I couldn't uh, hear. You know what? I feel like it's going to happen. It's not going to be a problem. Okay. I just have to find another way to get to my agent. Okay. I don't think you don't over need the to phone call like a works. PR crisis uh, person. You're not going to be me too from if, that phone if call. If that phone call was recorded, <laughs> there's going to be an issue. Okay. It, it won't be released, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. Okay. Huh. Anyway, uh, hopefully you get a hold of uh, her and we can, you know, get back to work. I feel I feel like we will. I feel like it's going to work out. Okay. Well, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Okay. Bye. bye. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah, movie theaters or churches. Yeah. By the time we this comes out, uh, we'll have uh, gone to the event. Uh, yeah. Seeing Stop Making Sense in 4K uh, on IMAX screens, and we'll uh, report back. Is it an IMAX screen? Out I there? think it, I believe it is. That's yeah. exciting. Very exciting. And uh, yeah, so we'll report back next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Weird app where they just talk about they're gonna talk about something next time. Yeah, it was. It, it's almost like why even bring it up? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> it's to fill time, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, we're uh, yeah. Do you have another? Do you have another request of the boss? Because we can ask for anything. Oh, uh, no. I I'm just honestly, I'm just running low on just, Topo Chico. Did you want to ask him for some? Uh. Yeah, I feel like that's what I'm doing by mentioning it, right? Like adding it to our list of demands. It seems very passive aggressive to me. Like you bring it up hoping that I'll go, well, okay, we can ask him for some. Like, why but isn't just, that what we're doing? Just is say we're what you listing? want. I want, uh, let's say, um, seven 12 packs of uh, Topo Chico delivered. You want 84 bottles of Topo Chico? 84 bottles delivered uh, to my front doorstep. Okay. Right by by Bruce, uh, by Bruce himself, by or an associate. Does, does if he have he's, to, if does he's he have busy? To, I don't think he's going to be busy. Really? Yeah, just make it be by Bruce himself. Um, but I feel like that's kind of shitty, just because he's a he's a busy person and he's older than I am, and he doesn't live in Los Angeles. Everyone in the world is older than you or younger than you. There's like hardly anyone. Wait a second. Say that one more time. Everyone in the world is either older than you or younger than you. Somebody write that down because that is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. So 84 bottles of Topo Chico um, delivered right to your door. It can't be to your neighbor's door. No, 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 no. And it has to be, it has to be on, let's see, Tuesday. Tuesday would be good. Let's You're say, at home on Tuesdays? Uh, if I'm not, someone will be there. But Someone's always there at home on Tuesdays? What's going on yeah. on Tuesdays that someone's always at the I house? I can't disclose what's going on on Tuesdays, oh. but I, mm. I will say you can deliver it between 9.30 a.m. Hmm. and midnight two days later. Okay, so really anytime Tuesday, Wednesday, or I don't like Thursday. Saying, I don't. Let's but just Tuesday, say, we'll let's just say, say Tuesday, Tuesday or two days later. I don't know. Tuesday plus 48 hours okay, or so. Don't worry about those other days. It's exactly. Tuesday or two, two days later. Okay, so Topo Chica, what do I want? Yeah, what do you want? You know what I really want is 
I want autographed pictures. You know what? Like eight by 10 glossies. That's really nice. You know, like, and would it kill you to make out a personal message? Hmm. You know, to us, yeah, on on both of them, one a piece. I'll tell you, I, 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 what kind of message are you looking for? You know, something substantive. You know, yeah, uh, something something substantial, substantive, substantive. I think I was caught in the middle of both of those words. Yeah. It, I mean, listen, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so something that that has meaning has meaning. I want you know, like maybe talk to my family about what I'm like. Yeah. You know, like what, you know, just none of this like tossed off bullshit that you probably do on all the eight by 10 glossies that yeah. you sign every day of like yeah. yours in bosshood. Yeah. Bruce. Love ya. <laughs> Love ya. Mean it. Bruce. <laughs> I'm sure that's, that's probably what he writes. <laughs> probably. But no, I just want, I, I, I want something nice, something nice that I can put up on my wall. I probably won't frame it. I'll probably just put a thumbtack into my wall. Yeah. But, so that's our new demands, Bruce. 84 bottles of uh, Topo Chico. On the wall. And uh, Why are all these bottles on the wall? Bottles of beer on the wall? Yeah, that's where you put them. That's where you put your bottles of beer. What's <laughs> put wrong? Put them in the fridge. No, you put them on the wall. <laughs> what? Uh, this fucking song is weird. Also, hey, speaking of that, though, I, I know the song is weird, but I love the song. 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Would you... Would you maybe do an album where it's just you counting down from 99 to one bottle of beer on the wall? I was going to say, he should cover that song. It's one of the great songs. One of the great songs. So that's another demand we have. Okay. We want 84 bottles of Chico. We want one signed, autographed, 8 by 10 glossy picture a piece that we won't frame. We'll just put thumbtacks on thumb the wall. Thumbtack, yeah. And do, we want, do we need a thumbtack as well? We need thumbtacks, yeah. Give us a box in case uh, any of them don't work. Okay. You ever have a thumbtack that just bends when you try to put it into uh, the wall? It's, it's a real bummer. It's the worst. So give us a whole box just in case that happens. And then we want you to make a whole album where you cover 99 bottles of beer on the wall and you count. It's just one song, one yeah. track all the way through and you count down to one. Yeah. Those are our demands. How long does that usually take? Usually a bus ride. So I would say 25 minutes. Yeah, usually anywhere you're taking... You're going on the bus. It's like 20. So maybe it's an EP. Okay. So, well, then let's fill it out. Maybe he also covers Louie Louie for 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. What other songs? Wheels on the Bus. Yeah. Wheels on the Bus is good. Yeah. Just bus songs. Bus Louis songs. Louis. Yeah. Another one rides the bus. Yeah. Another okay. one rides the bus. We want you to sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall, which you traditionally sing on a field trip while you're on a bus. That's right. We want you to sing Wheels on the Bus. Yep. Another one rides the bus, which yep. is, of course, Weird Al's parody That's of right. an, uh, Another One Bites the Dust. Yep. Magic Bus by The Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not, are we getting rid of Louie Louie? Get Louis? rid of Louie Louie, yeah. Uh, anything by the Bus Boys, like Cleaning Up the Town, which was oh, written yeah, for the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the movie Ghostbusters. Yeah. No, it's not Cleaning Up the Town. It's The Boys Are Back in Town. No, that's a different song that they did. Oh. Cleaning up the town was uh, those Ghostbusters came and cleaning up the town. Was boys are back in town in forty eight hours. I believe it was. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but either either of those songs are fair game. Great. They're by because the bus, it's boys. bus boys. But yep. if you want to sing, I would love to hear Bruce Springsteen sing the word Ghostbusters. I remember listening to Eddie Murphy's Eddie Murphy comedian, which was the album of mm-hmm. Delirious as a kid, and he always said. 
hey, uh, how about a hand for the bus boys, everybody? And as a kid, always thinking like, wow, he's really giving it up for all the, the bus staff. boys that work <laughs> at the... Oh, that's funny. Yeah. But uh, I do, I would like, you know what? I'm scrapping the bus idea. Okay. I, I just really want to hear Bruce sing the word Ghostbusters. So okay. any song that has the word Ghostbusters in it. So primarily Ghostbusters. Yeah. Bobby Brown's on my own. We're the Ghostbusters and we're in control. Whoa, he mentions the Ghostbusters? because yeah, it was for Ghostbusters 2. It was yeah. the theme, yeah. Wow. Bus okay. Boys cleaning up the town. Okay. I think L. King did a song for the one of the newer Ghostbusters one, the, the Paul Feig one. Okay. And then our buddy Paul Rudd, he's in those new Ghostbusters films. Was there a song for, for those? I think there was, but w- what I'm getting to is, Bruce, you record this EP of songs all Ghostbusters songs (laughs) and then give it to Paul. You probably can get some of the songs in the new movie. Oh, that's such a good idea. (laughs) So, and you get a sync license. Oh, that's a great idea. The money just starts fucking rolling in, bro. (laughs) If Bruce Springsteen made an EP of all Ghostbusters songs. (laughs) This is one of our demands. It's a great idea. We need it, Bruce. (sighs) We need it and we need, and I'm, I'm expecting that our next episode will be the two-on-one interview six hours all chit chat yep. with bruce so you know don't be surprised i'm so, i know you were disappointed when you clicked on this one and it's for darkness on the edge of town but uh, and it's not the interview but um hopefully bruce will get back to us and then we'll also we'll tack on the ghostbusters ep as like a bonus at the yeah. end of the episode yeah we'll play the entire thing <laughs> yep <laughs> all right we need to take a break when we come back back we are going to be talking about the album darkness on the edge of town very exciting um you excited for this one oh yes all right let's take a break when we come back we're going to be doing that on you spring and springsteen on my bean we'll be right back Welcome back, you spring and Springsteen on my bean. And uh, Bruce did not get a hold of us during the break. No, no, no call, no text, uh, no. He is incommunicado. Huh. Well, whatever. Whatever, Bruce. Um, All right, buddy. You ready to do this? We're talking about uh, the album called... Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go through some stats. Released June 2, 1978. Beginning of summer. Yeah. Like, I would imagine school let out probably, I mean, Memorial Day was probably a few days earlier. Yeah, probably. Well, let's run the numbers on that. I wonder um, what day June t- it was probably you got a, a calendar? Tues- it was probably a Tuesday because Yeah. So June 1 would have been June, a Monday, Monday. Monday. Which means then Memorial Day would have been on Friday. The- oh man, that must have been a great weekend. <laughs> it would have been on Friday. Wasn't Memorial Day isn't it Memorial Day the 
31st or the 30th? No, it's always the last Monday of... Oh, it is? Yeah. So it would have been the 24th. Or no, the 25th. Perfect. 25th. So this is like just eight days after Memorial Day. So Memorial Day weekend would have been the weekend before this album came out. Yeah. That's when so, the holiday would have fallen. So you can listen to this album and, and probably, unless people had an advanced copy, not played at a lot of Memorial Day barbecues in 1978. Yeah, probably not. Probably zero. Sure, maybe John John Landau. John Landau. He probably had he one. He, he was he was cooking up some baby back ribs, hot dogs, hot dogs, yeah, burgers. But Bruce Springsteen probably was, was probably like, at John Lando's barbecue. Do you think he would have wanted to hear it? I don't know. Hey, Bruce, do you mind if we put on your new album, Darkness on the Edge of Town, in this backyard barbecue? But John, it's Memorial Day. <laughs> Time to remember the troops and all that. Well, that some of the album is kind of looking back at the ramifications of the Vietnam. Say no more. Put it on. Put it on. <laughs> Rip it up. Meanwhile, everyone in it, all around, everyone else at all their parties are like, "What's that sound?" Yeah, we haven't heard this album because it hasn't come out for another eight days. Um, I wonder if Marvin Berry was there. I hope so. I've got a new sound for you. You don't hear a lot about Marvin Berry. You know, such an unsung hero in the Chuck Berry history and the whole history of rock and roll well he's responsible for rock and roll he's responsible and yet you don't hear he was never inducted into the hall of fame nope they should do a fake induction for For marvin Marvin barry Barry and get the actor who played him (laughs) just to liven this shit up man it's like you ever go to one of those rock and roll hall of fame things never never been invited no i've had friends i went to the actual rock and roll hall of fame oh i went to the rock and roll uh, when we were on tour last year and had, had a fun time. And I would go if they invited us. Yeah. Have they? I mean, we've been doing this show for now nine years. Yeah. Have they, has the Rock Hall of Fame, first of all, they should induct us. I think it would make sense. I think it would be only appropriate. Look, you, you want to you get some younger viewers. It's all these fucking boomers are dying off and everything induct scott and scott into the rock and roll hall of fame in your podcasting arm the thing is is that they would have to put up some sort of um display in the permanent museum yeah oh yeah yeah not not one that gets like taken out after three months or whatever we want a permanent display so they may have to build like a new wing or probably that's that's fine sure We'll, we'll pay for it yeah we can raise the money yeah, I mean, we're not going to pay for it ourselves, but we have some wealthy donors. We can yeah. fleece. I mean, <laughs> ask for money. Careful there. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I thought it was cool. I don't yeah. know. Um, I liked it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to go quite on record saying what I thought because we're about to be inducted next year. Yeah, we got maybe we just hold our thoughts. In the podcasting arm, which by the way, It'll be the first year they induct podcasters, and yes, they'll have to induct Springsteen and Obama next to us. Yeah, and that'll be fine. Right. And we'll, you know what? We can have Springsteen and Obama induct us, yes, and, and then we'll we induct do the them. same thing for them. This makes sense. Yeah. Um, I bet, I bet Obama gets Hillary to go up and induct him. Yeah, probably. But you know, she can also join us on stage. She when can we bring accept. her emails. Jesus. <laughs> She's just flipping through emails the entire ceremony. I found them. <laughs> um, okay, so June 2, 1978, um, recorded uh, at first 
uh, Atlantic Studios, and then uh, they went back to the old record plant. Um, and produced by John Landau, and um, it's by Bruce Springsteen, of course. Um, yeah. So what do we know about, oh, by the way, uh, running time, somewhere between 42, 29 seconds and 42, 30 seconds, hmm. somewhere in there. About 42 minutes. <laughs> and 29 seconds, um, give or take a half a second. So um, wait, what, b- before this album was even recorded, there, was there a dispute of some sort? Okay, with so manager? if you'll recall, the last record we did was Born to Run, mm-hmm. and that came out in 1975. Yeah. Three years. Three years. Has gone by. That's a long time for someone who just like broke out. Yeah. Nowadays, nowadays it's not that weird to for right. uh, a, a band or a, an artist to take three years in between albums because the publicity machine is somehow different and yeah. you can s- just squeeze out three years worth of hype on one album, That's you know, right. and keep touring, and, touring yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, if you didn't put out another record the next year, you were kind of viewed as like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Yeah. Because you want to constantly have product out there. The Beatles were putting out like three records a year. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Springsteen, his first two were in one year. Yeah. And suddenly it's three years and he doesn't have any product out. Well, remember in the Beatles documentary, the get back where they had like three weeks scheduled to record their album. Right. It's yeah. just nuts. It was basically albums were just like, take a little bit of time. Yeah. They talk about it in the, uh, the documentary about darkness on the edge of town, where it's just like, usually when you record an album, you write, you know, 15 songs, yeah. you pick your 10 best and you just record them and put it out. Yeah. And uh, this album was not like that. Um, uh, wh- so what's going on? So we talked in the last episode about how uh, Mike Appel, Springsteen's manager, yeah. um, they start kind of not seeing eye to eye during the Born to Run sessions. And it comes to a head after Born to Run comes out. Essentially, Mike Appel is like, okay, here's what we do next. We put out a live album. Hmm. And Springsteen's like, uh no yeah <laughs> he's like i want to put out a regular album and also mike Appel is just very opinionated he even talks about this himself where he's like i have very strong ideas on on he said like songwriting uh instrumentation and riffs oh boy <laughs> it's like you have strong opinions on riffs wow um so they're they basically start kind of not seeing eye to eye and bruce springsteen says well you know I want out of my contract with you specifically. With you specifically, and he had signed as a young guy. He'd signed one of these just ironclad, oh, you know, God. shitty yeah. contracts that you have with a manager, where essentially he cannot record anything uh, without the permission of his manager, Mike Appel, like uh, signing off on like who's going to be there, who's yeah. going to produce it. Like, you know, he has a total control over what Bruce Springsteen is going to do. And so Bruce Springsteen essentially says like, well, I'm not going to record then. And um, I'm going to sue you for, to get out of this contract and uh, to have con- total control over what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause I can't, I can't do this anymore if I don't have total control. So not only did he have that in the contract, Mike Appel was actually trying to enforce 
those rules that he had in the deal. I don't know. And try he, to control the sessions. I don't know that he was trying to control it as much as it was in the the contract. And Bruce Springsteen was sort of like instead of just going like, "Hey, is it okay if we yeah, keep yeah. recording?" He just was like, "You're not going to have any control over me, so I'm yeah. just not going to record, and I'm going to sit on this contract." Just wait it out. Just wait it out. Yeah. Wait. So that takes a full calendar year and not a fiscal year, like a calendar yeah. year um, to get settled. And what's uh, a fiscal year? April to April. I'm April 15 to April 15. I would imagine. <laughs> I still don't really know. Or is it, isn't it shorter than a year? Isn't it like a, no, I just think the months are different. Oh, I That's see. interesting. But let me, let me look it up. I, I could be totally off on this. Fiscal year. Because there's quarters, right? Sure. A fiscal year or financial year or sometimes budget year oh. is used in government accounting, which varies between countries and for budget purposes. It's also used for financial reporting by businesses and other organizations. Um, I don't see when. It, oh, uh, uh, it's uh, the fiscal year is the so it's like December 31 to December 31. Sometimes it's just like I think it's whatever you decide it to Got be. Got it. So rather than January 1 to January 1, it's December 31st to December. Did, that's, that's so stupid. That's the example they gave. <laughs> the minute I read it out but loud, it's, I'm like, this is... The point is, it's 365 days. I believe, yes, and I believe you can decide when those are. I'm deciding that it's Halloween. It's October 31 to October so 31. That is so scary. I know. It's going to be the scariest fiscal year I mean, it's already time. when you have to pay your taxes. It's Ooh. like, oh, that April 15th? That may as well be Halloween. I know. Talk about ghosts and goblins. Uh, oh, I'm going to address as an IRS auditor this year. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, yeah, so it takes a full year for this to get settled, and, and uh, essentially Springsteen buys out his contract, and I think he's millions of dollars in the hole. At the wow, so he pays Mike Appel yeah. all this money. Yeah. Fuck. That sucks. That sucks, yeah. And Mike Appel, he, he basically gets a cut of the first three records as well as this lump sum that Bruce Springsteen pays him. And I don't know the, the details of, of how much money it was, but I think like Springsteen alludes to it in the documentary of like, if this didn't work out, he's going to be millions of dollars in the hole instead of the opposite. Um, and so this next record, and by the way, we talked born to run, like, you know, Semi hit, like well respected, but not like a smash or anything I like that. I thought it was a total hit. That's just so yeah, weird that it wasn't. It's uh, it's not like he had a top ten single or anything on that record, right? Um, so this you know is kind of a make or break thing. But Springsteen decides to wait it out, and he they're playing every day at his house. Like the band, the whole band would come over every single day. And Springsteen essentially is just making them rehearse all day, every day. And without recording. Without recording. Anything. And just like, so he writes, there are 12 songs on this record. He ends up writing, by his account, 70 or 80 songs for this. Wow. And they've only released, um, there's 12 on the record. They released the Outtakes record, The Promise, which had uh, 12. 22 i believe they re- did another four on tracks so you know you're in the realm of 40 there's still like probably 30 songs floating around out there that uh, have never been released it's crazy and then he chooses only what nine to be on the album Is that uh, he uh picks 10 on ten. the record and 
the 10 he picks are you know the band the the edible street band that we've talked about they come in expecting like okay we're gonna lay down born to run two you know right um like a big wall of sound yeah they basically i think um roy bitten talks about like we found our sound you know which is is hard for a band sometimes to do like you try a bunch of things and you're like i don't know what our signature sound is i remember benfold's five when they came out with their first record they were like we found our sound and we're never going to change it because unlike Billy Joel, who like had this incredible sound on his first, you know, five albums or yeah. whatever, and then started experimenting with rock and changing his sound. Like we know what works and we're not going to be like Billy Joel and ever change our sound. And then their third record, they started experimenting yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they broke up. So it's like, um, I think it's hard when you find your sound because it's like, okay, this is the signature edible street band sound. Right. Let's keep it going. And Springsteen's like, Hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to do something totally different this record. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so hard to do. I mean, just it's a risky thing to do. And especially after going for so long and finally getting to this place that he that he got to with Born to Run, changing it up is really, I'm sure so many people were telling him not to do it. Well, I also think what was going on with him was he had all that hype. He was on the cover of Time and Newsweek. Yeah. And his record company was calling him the savior of and future of rock and roll and all that kind of stuff. And he was he was rebelling against it. And um, in fact, we'll talk about it a little later. He wrote so many like what could be hit singles for the record. Yeah. And he turned all of them down and was like, no, that's not going on the, yeah. on the and and he would say, That's not going on the record because I can see if we put that on the record, the record company will make it the single and it'll be a hit single. And it'll be annoying. And it'll be annoying. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But then, like, wasn't Because the Night one of those? Fuck, man. Yeah. So he based such a great song. And what I'm getting from everything I've read is that this is basically his undiagnosed depression album. Yeah. It certainly he, feels that way. He had he uh, figured out later in life that he has depression, uh-huh. and when he listens to this, he goes, "Oh yeah, you can hear my depression all over this record." Now, not just depression because he was in this lawsuit that was unending, um, but just as a Though guy, I'm, I'm sure that's part of it. I'm yes. sure that that would make you feel all sorts of things about yourself. Right. And, but also I think, you know, uh, I was talking to Gary Goldman on comedy bang bang recently, and he has talked about this with his special, the great depression where it's like, Oh yeah. You feel as if, okay, well I'm depressed, but if I can get really good at something and get success at something then I won't be depressed anymore. That's right. And then you find that success and you go, but I'm still depressed. What's going on? It doesn't do anything. Yeah. So, this album is not born to run to the sound is harder. Mm-hmm. The sound has more guitars, less saxophone. Yeah. It's more compressed. Mm-hmm. And the subject matter is or maybe less compressed. How would that? It's, it's one of the two. I'll tell you that. Much. <laughs> it's not exactly the same amount of compression. <laughs> no, it's not. Is, is it wall of sound? Is that what it is? It's, it's just a compressed wall of just wall of sound. As I, have heard it described is a lot of sounds layered on top Just of each other, but of... there's a lot of bleed in between the mics. That's right. Where you can hear when, if you just isolate like the guitar, you can hear the drums, the drums a little yeah. bit because everything's sort of bleeding together. Yeah. 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 Um, Which I really, really like. I love that sound. Yeah. 
but I also see the the appeal of something more studio-ish or what we think of right. as studio-ish, which is what this album is. They also talk about Springsteen, the uh, boss, of course, talks about how he and John Landau, neither of them knew how to make a record. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they're sitting around like, they have ideas, but they're sitting around, they, they go into that first studio and the drum sounds are a big issue for them all the time. And so they just take months with Max Weinberg like hitting the snare drum and Springsteen sitting there going, stick, stick, stick. And he, because he could hear the stick on the drum. And so this is like, he doesn't want to hear this. He doesn't want to hear the stick. I guess he's getting upset at the muffled drum sound that he's hearing because he wants the drums to sound huge. And he doesn't want to hear the stick. Like he wants it to feel like it's coming from it's booming. Like it's just the drum is, but he can hear the stick on the, he's going crazy. I think Wow, that's and, amazing. And he now in retrospect, he's like, okay, what I didn't know is you turn the drums up really loud. That's going to make the guitars sound small. Right. And vice versa. You turn the guitars up really yeah. loud. It makes the, dr- like we, we wanted can, everything it, to sound as big as they could yeah, be. Yeah. And so they just spend a long time trying to like making Max Weinberg hit drums. So they wanted on this album for everything to feel huge and in the foreground they wanted it to have like a live sound that they just couldn't figure out how to get and so they're but they wanted each instrument to have its own like texture and place in the music rather than all all of them sounding them big all of them sounding equally as big yeah which is like and not knowing how to not knowing deal with equipment and yeah so they spend two years recording this and recording song after song after song. They they do something called the Star Wars demo tape, which um, is called the Star the Star Wars demo tape because they cut it two days after Star Wars came out in 1977. <laughs> and also, you can hear in the background C three PO C three PO is going oh my yeah, and people are like three PO, calm down, and you're like, too much of a fuss budget. May the force be with you. And look, Bruce, you've already said, may the force be with you on this yeah. demo tape. Would it kill you to talk about Ghostbusters? Yeah, just slip a couple Ghostbusters in there. <laughs> so they spend two years and and they record from, by all accounts, 70 songs or so. Mm-hmm. And That's all. And Bruce Springsteen keeps going like, they, they'll they record one and go, oh my God, this is a hit. And you go, yeah, I'm not interested. Toss yeah. it. Because he what he wants to talk about on the record is he doesn't want to do what he did on Born to Run, which is these people trapped in small towns and longing to get out and finally breaking free. He wants to cut to three years later where they're still trapped and they're never going to get out. Essentially. Oh, so nice. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> it's, again, depression thing. Darkness <laughs> on the edge of town. Yeah. That's what it's about. So he wants the sound to reflect that. Um, and they just keep recording these songs and Jimmy Iovine is there and he's like, it's a hit, Bruce, it's a hit. And he's like, get rid of it. That's why later when Patty Smith is looking for a song, Jimmy Iovine's like, Hey, I got something for you, (laughs) Patty. Um, so basically what happens is they, they finally come up with the songs that they want to include and they all sound like shit. (laughs) And they've recorded them and all the pieces are there, but they, they've mixed it and it sounds like shit. And so they're like, I don't know what we're going to fucking do. 
So they bring in this guy, uh, Chuck Plotkin. And um, Chuck Plotkin is not a a mixer. Mm -hmm. He's like a producer. Mm -hmm. And they go, can you just... Plotty, come on. Plotty. Hey, Kinkins. Get your plots together. Get over here. (laughs) Oh, the plot thickens. I wonder if anyone ever says that when he walks in the room. Every day, I would imagine. Love it. And he's like, are you saying I'm fat? Yeah. They're like, no, no, it's just, it's an no, idiom. it's an expression. It's a common idiom. Um, Talk about depression. <laughs> Plotkin's in oh, there going man. like, why are they all making fun of my weight every Telling day? Telling me I'm thick. Um, so the, he comes in, he's just a producer. He goes, well, I'm not a mixer. and But he listens to all of it. And I, uh, I forget which song he started with, but he kind of goes like, oh, okay. And he like turns the drums way up and the bass way up. <laughs> And they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And everything everything else down. And they're like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> oh my God. And he goes like, Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like just get a real mixer in here, you'll be fine. They're I mean, like, it is 1978, but we can do this. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, get a real mixer. They go, no, no, plotty. Yeah. You're it, baby. Oscars. <laughs> Keep going, man. Bro. Keep going. Keep that plot thick. <laughs> He's like, come on, guys! Hey, I'm not that fat. Hey. Um, I, I, he does in the documentary have a really interesting viewpoint on how to mix vocals, which I had never heard before. Which I think is really sorry. So he did end up mixing. He mixes the, album? the whole thing. Yeah, wow. and they're like, this sounds great. Wow. <laughs> um, but his his theory on vocals is he goes. And and it's interesting because I I recorded when I used to be in bands I would record songs you know on a four, if a friend had a four track or whatever, yeah. and you always think like oh the vocals are supposed to go be front and center all yeah. the way all as louder than anything else right, and which is bad no yeah. the, the drums are supposed to be the loudest yeah um usually but um his thing was like okay so you want the vocals you want them loud but you don't want them as loud as like the drums or anything you. You don't want them loud enough so you can understand what the person's saying. You want them just loud enough where you think you could understand what the person's saying if you really tried hard enough. Uh-huh. But any louder than that where you can understand what they're saying and it sounds bad and weird. So you want them just like slightly lower than that, <laughs> which I thought was really... And now when I listen to these songs, I'm sort of like, oh yeah, it is kind of a jumble, the voice... Is that's what Bruce wanted? No, that's what he did. That's that's what Plotty wanted. I see. And that's his theory of like how to mix a record. And and now when you listen to songs, it's interesting because that's. that's I think that's of, a good kind of guide for vocals. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So remember he, when REM was talking about like in their first album, they all wanted to be mixed lower. Yeah. And they <laughs> so kept funny. asking to go lower and lower. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Edible Street Band, they talk on the doc- documentary like. Plotty comes in and every single member of the band is like looking at their number on the faders yeah, and kind of going like, boost me yeah, up, yeah, Plotty. Yeah, yeah, boost yeah, me yeah. up, Plotty. You remember beat me up, Scotty? Plotskers, come on. <laughs> boost it. Boost me up, Plotty. So he comes in and basically like saves the album and they're like, Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Good job. He's like, uh, uh, all yeah, right. yeah, like anyone could have done yeah. this, you fucking weirdos, but all right, sure. Two years you've been working on this? Okay. <laughs> um, but more importantly than that, I think is that it's just, I think the album is a, a triumph of editing 
where uh, just Bruce Springsteen knew what he wanted out mm-hmm. of it. He talks about how the two main influences were uh, uh, who'd he play on Sopranos? Big Pussy, uh, the, the guy uh, who's in the Edible Street Band. Um, oh, Little Steven. Little Steven, yeah. He how, played, uh, what is his name? Um, Joey Fat Lips. <laughs> Um, I just forget. watched the whole thing last summer. You watched the whole thing last summer? The the, the Sopranos? I, yeah, you know what I did last summer now. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to murder you now that what? I know what you did last summer. Anytime anyone hears about what someone did the previous you summer, have to murder. you have to murder. Uh, Anytime yeah, I anyone watched... hears what you did the previous summer, you, you must murder must them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched The Sopranos. So Joey Fat Lips or whatever. Yeah. That's one of the big influences where he wants everything to sound rough and garagey. Right. And Little just, Steven's Underground Garage. Underground Garage. Great show. Um, uh, and then a great station. Um, we should talk to Little Steven. I mean, if he has to come with Bruce, sure. Yeah. And he, he should deliver the Topo Chicos. That's a good job for Little He'll Steven. He'll be like, hey, these fell off a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask style. too many questions. Um, that was a cool impression. What the hell was his name? It was um, the character's name. I wonder if there's a way we could find out. I don't think so. Fisher Stevens. Yeah, that was his name. Yeah. Um, so he wants that. John Lando wants everything to be clean and like the radio. Yeah. Cleanly recorded. Yeah. Hits. Yep. And so they're arguing all the time and Springsteen's like basically pleasing both of them and does something in the middle. He's like, I like it in the middle. Yeah. I like it rough, a little bit rough, but not as l- rough as little Steven. I like it, you know, yeah. radio-y. So, um, but he just knows what he wants out of this record, which is a certain point of view about a certain point of, per- a certain type of person who is Silvio. Silvio. Isn't it? Am I right? I don't know. Okay. Keep going. Um, a certain type of person who's trapped um, in, town. in town, in town, and is never going to get out, right? And their life sucks. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> and this is his big follow-up to Born to Run to this huge hit. Yeah, and I'll be damned if it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, at least when I say it, it, it doesn't work. It worked out for him. Yeah, I can only imagine like he puts out Born to Run two the following year, and oh. he becomes like Eddie and the Cruisers or yeah. something like that, where yeah. it's just like, oh, that's what he does, and yeah. then. People and this is interest. three years later. It's completely different. Doesn't end up selling quite as much, but it's no. still huge, right? Still pretty uh, big. At least uh, is another step forward in people saying like, like, wow. Oh, wow. He's really great. Although some of the, some of the critics were like, this is kind of a bummer record. We don't yeah. like it as much, but a lot of people are like, oh no, this is an artistic statement. It's great. And then as people reassess it over time, they're like, oh, it's one of the great albums. Yeah. As long as you have like that critical support. You can keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Springsteen, I think at a certain point, he forgot to put a guitar part in, and he stopped the whole record and delayed the release again. And To record a guitar part? Not to even record it, because he forgot to mix it in. And so he did, like turned the fader up on literally one part uh, before a sax solo oh, Jesus. on one song. So um must be nice to have that kind of budget. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, we have to take a break, 
That's the story of the record. When we come back, though, we're going to listen to the songs on the record and, and talk about what we think about them. Adam, are you ready for this? Yeah. Well, you should sit on uh, your little butt for a little longer what? because uh, I know you're ready for it, but we have to take a break. So when we come back, we're going to hear Darkness on the Edge of Town on You Spring and Springsteen on My Bean. We'll be right back. You spring and spring scene on my bean. Welcome back. And we're talking about darkness on the edge of town. By the way, the Mike Appel uh, coda to Mike Appel is, yeah. um, so he got this huge payout. Yeah. And then goes and sells his stake in all of Springsteen songs back to him. Back to Springsteen. Back to Springsteen. Like in, was it in the 80s or the 90s? I, I don't know. But uh so it gets paid twice for it. Wow. <laughs> but Springsteen wanted it back and have the money at that point is like, well, I want control over all my music. So, But he, is he like, j- just for those three albums he yeah. bought back? Yeah. I wonder if they were like still friends at all. So they talk about it. They, they say that essentially Springsteen was like, we were probably never going to work together anymore, but I really missed the friendship. Yeah. Um, so Mike Capel called up John Landau and was like, okay, it's over now. Can we like, you know, I know we're not going to work together, but can, can me and Bruce still be friends? I really, and so they set up a, a dinner and they had like a three hour dinner, which was really nice. And so they're on good terms now. And Mike Capel oh. keeps popping up in these documentaries talking about oh, that's cool. his role in it. So I don't think there are any like bad blood necessarily. Yeah. And Bruce is like, I still am very entertained by his friendship, which is such a <laughs> weird way to put mean? it. <laughs> <laughs> and how much did he buy back his stake in those first three albums? I don't know for? the terms. I Somewhere between $0 and $100 million. I bet it's like, for the first three Bruce Springsteen albums, so it's not Born to Run, or it is. No, it is Born it's to Run. Born yeah. to Run. It's Asbury Park. Yeah. Uh, the Wild, the, the Innocent. Wild, the Innocent, and then Born to Run. Yeah, must be like thirty million dollars or something. No, I'm sure he's doing fine. I'm not worried about him. Mike Appel, hit, hit a couple of podcasters chicks. up and yeah, like, come on, bro. We've said some nice things about you on yeah. this show. Yeah. So give us we a little walking around. We've heard your entertaining friendship to have. <laughs> Let us wet our beaks at the very least. <laughs> we want some of his money for some reason. <laughs> we think we're entitled to yeah. it. Well, it's, we just want just to wet give our us beaks. some of your money. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to listen to these tracks. And uh, again, this is a darker. Uh, more morose album and it's reflected in the sound Um, but uh, the first track we're going to hear side one track one big uh, Bruce Springsteen song this is a song called Badlands shit this song man Uh, of course also there is the uh, the movie Badlands did that come out before or after? That's a really good question. I think before, but let's check. We can check on that, but not on little Steve Silvio. <laughs> I think it's Silvio. Bandlands? Is that how you spell it? 
1973. Yeah. So I, I, again, Springsteen is taking uh, titles and imagery from kind of uh, you know Western movies and and Heartland movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that in order to make his record. But this is a song called Badlands, and it's by Bruce Springsteen. The song very nearly did not have the saxophone on it. Oh, is that right? Because, and also this is Max Weinberg's first full album. Yes, that's right. Welcome, Max. Um, The the Eastry Band is now a a tight, cohesive unit at this point. Um, They've been playing live, by the way, this entire three-year period to make money. Um, So they almost didn't have the sax on this song because Springsteen started feeling like. The saxophone in general, the instrument itself, was the sound of uh, an urban sound, the sound of the city, and he Hmm. wanted to make a Heartland album. And so he was kind of like, let's get all the sax off of here. Yeah. And Was Clarence Clemens like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Bro, I'm right here. Yeah. You've already been insulting Plotty this entire time. Yeah. Um, But, oh, so here's... So it's just going to be this, essentially. God. What a bad move that would have been. (laughs) Well, everyone thought it was going to be a bad move, and so they finally talked him into it. And, of course, it's great. It's great. But he was just kind of like in this headspace where he's rebelling against this. Because, you know, the saxophone is like New York State of Mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but but Clarence Clemens, I guess, is like cool with it because and he has this sort of well-rehearsed line where he's like, you don't want too much sax on the album because anything more than what you got makes you a sax addict. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, he can say whatever he wants. Well, RIP to the big man, of yeah, course. Yeah, the fucking best. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, he, by the way, the main riff is sort of a take on the animals don't let me be misunderstood. Oh, interesting, yeah. Do you want to hear uh, uh, I that, sure do. that song? And we, we can uh, uh, sort of uh, 
figure out exactly how the rift differs, but uh, don't let me be misunderstood by the animals is right here, and let's hear it on this show. Yeah. Dude, they get a they don't get a writing credit. No, right? no, because it's like a yeah. It's like it's either a minor turned into a major or vice versa. What a great ding, song! Ding, 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 ding. Um, he had the title and he didn't have a song to that fit the title, so he just wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote until finally he had something that he's like, okay, that fits the title. Hmm. Um, what do we think of Badlands? It's I love it so much. It's such a great song. It's fucking rad for a for a depressing kind of album. Yeah. It's a great like sort of hopeful moment to start on although the lyrics kind of are like a little depressing yeah yeah for sure but it's a it's a just such a great catchy bruce pop song i love it um a classic definitely and so fun when they play it live yeah and i doubt there's a show where he doesn't play badlands and it's fun too because of like what they're doing when they do play it live they all get out hula hoops and they all start start just even the guys with guitars it's hard to yep. loop when you have a guitar super on, fun what do you it, think of this song i think it's great it's one of the classic bruce springsteen yeah. songs i i have no quibbles with it um it's my second favorite song on this album real oh interesting okay we'll find out what the first is um nope not gonna tell okay weird <laughs> all right so the next song uh, track two adam raised a cane of course using biblical imagery Whoa. we all know uh, that fig leafed fucker adam <laughs> jesus <laughs> and his son harsh the first murderer oh my god by bruce springsteen adam raised a king definitely more brutal sounding yeah this is where we start to get into just the harshness just the guitar really hard yeah um they uh the plotty when he he was brought in to mix the whole record when they go come back tomorrow and do the whole thing yeah he said he's never had this experience before, but instead of like Bruce Springsteen going like, okay, I want the guitars to be like louder than the other stuff. Bruce Springsteen says like, well, I want this song to be like, you're, you know, you're watching a movie and like a couple is having a picnic and it's a nice bright day and suddenly you cut to a dead body under a tree and it's like a shocking image, you know? He goes, that's what I want 
coming from the previous song I want this to sound like. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and he's like, I've never had anyone use like imagery of what yeah. they want the feeling to be like yeah. when someone listens to this before. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, listen a... to this dead body. <laughs> wow, you can just see it under a tree. Chucky's just killed him. And you could see his insides. <laughs> yep. Because Chucky found out what he did the previous summer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sharp left turn from the previous yeah. song. Also, what's interesting is Plotty, he used one of the first, like, sort of uh, early digital pieces of equipment called, hmm. like, a harmonizer. Because... Hmm. He, you hear to do what? You hear Roy Bitten's piano parts, right? Yeah. But thanks and all the yeah. kind of stuff. He put them slightly out of tune because they sounded too like good, good. So he's like, "Let's fuck Let's this up a little up. bit, yeah, rough it up." And so he makes them slightly out of tune, and he turned it in like he lets everyone hear it, expecting them to go like, "What'd you do to the piano?" And everyone goes, "Sounds good." Interesting. Yeah, you, so it's just like ever so slightly out of tune, and it was one of the first ever Interesting. pieces of equipment that could do something like that and take. Rather than him have him play slightly, this is because it, it was all done. So it was all was done just, already. Yeah. yeah, so he just like fucked it up a little bit and made it a little more ragged. Hmm. Interesting, don't you think? What I just very said is interesting. interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> How do we feel about Adam raises a cane? I mean, obviously your name is in it, so yeah. So I'm gonna have certain feelings about it. <laughs> Um, like, was this written about you? Right. That's my first inclination when I hear mm-hmm. something like this. Um, I've never really liked this song very really? much, and I still kind of don't. It just sounds like, to me, it doesn't sound like dead body. To me, it sounds like being under really hot sunshine at a like a barbecue that's on concrete, and there's nowhere to get shade, and I'm holding like a warm beer. Mm. You like your beer and the cold. music is way too loud, and I just want to <laughs> go find somewhere to go. So, as a song, you don't like it. As a sort of mission statement of like, hey, this album's going to be different. Do you respect it at least? Yeah, and I, I, I do respect the way it sounds. I do like how it sounds. I think it's cool. I just never really loved the song. It's like, uh, it's it's definitely a hard rock. Oh, that's the other thing is Springsteen punk rock was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was influenced by that. And mm-hmm. you can hear it in some of the songs where he's like, especially the subject matter, but occasionally you'll hear a song that's like him going like, no, make it harder. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly went there with this one. Yeah. I like it. I, I especially like it live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't, wait, I actually don't love, like interesting when they play it live. I'm always just like, okay, time to take my third shit of the that's- night. <laughs> That's right. That's when I go and take my third shit. <laughs> you love taking shits in like uh, arena bathrooms. Uh, it's the best. The <laughs> best. Um, no, but yeah, I do, you know, respect it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not my fave. All right. And I like hard, loud music. I just don't love the song. That's all. All, all right. Um, this is track three. This is Something in the Night.
song's half over i feel like it hasn't really started yet yeah it hasn't really hit i mean he hit he kind of hit the chorus but not yeah like a huge change this is sort of like a live take i think they recorded it the very first night they were uh-huh. recording um and then they did a few overdubs on uh-huh. it and stuff um n- not anyone in the band's favorite i think here's either. the okay here we go That's pretty great. I like that. We are three minutes and 14 seconds into it, though. How long is the song? Uh, Five, 14. But again, this is like him saying anything too poppy. That's right. I don't want it on here. Like he doesn't put because of the night on the yeah. album, but he puts, this he puts on. this on, yeah. which is like everyone in the band is sort of like, uh, yeah, it's a little slow. Yeah. It's like, sort of hard to fill up all the space. And I think he was sort of directing the band during mm-hmm. it too, because Max Weinberg talks about how there's a part where he just, Springsteen like cuts yeah. him off and so he stops playing and yeah. it like skips a beat a little bit and yeah. stuff he goes that was all just like with this song in with particular this song, yeah at the very end of it I'll see if we can hear it when it comes in there it is or it might be even a little bit later or something, but he's he's sort of directing the drums as they're doing it. It's funny because that documentary on Letter to You, that their last album, mm-hmm. that on Apple, yeah, yeah. You we see- know AMPTP. Oh fuck! Anyway, uh, on that documentary on the the new album, you see him still doing that same thing. Yeah, with the band. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, and you still see little Steven like coming in and going like. No, cut this part. Cut that part. Yeah. And bossing them around, which I think is very funny. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Something in the Night? I really like this song. Do you? Lot. Interesting. Yeah. It's never grabbed me all that yeah, much. Yeah, I, I totally get that. But it's an ending here. I think it's really cool. And it has that it's, big, epic Bruce feeling to it. That's the thing is, is like, I respect it. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole album. I respect what he's going for. And he's like saying like, no, you can't pigeonhole me as, you know, yeah. this kind of artist. I'm going to do this thing with it. Yet, do I listen to that for pleasure all that much? Right. I'm not I'm not really sure. I, I I agree. Like, I wish there were a couple more pop songs on it. It's the, the two of the big singles are the last two uh, songs. No, no, not the, not the very last two. But uh, I was surprised that. What, is it Prove It All Night? Prove It All Night is the second to last song that was the first single. That was the first single. Yeah. It's so crazy. All right. Well, let's keep going on the first side. This is track four. This is Candy's Room by Bruce Springsteen. This is my favorite part right here. I love This reminds you of being a robot. There are pictures of heroes on the wall. They get to Candy's Room. Get a walk. Darkness at Candy's Hall. Strangers from the city. Call my baby's number, and may bring her toys. When I come knocking, she smiles pretty. She knows I'm gonna be Candy's boy. That part is inspired by Barry White. 
Really? Yeah, the hi-hat part. Because of the spoken... Oh, it's not... The spoken thing reminded them of a Barry White song, so they'd start doing this sort of disco hi-hat. Oh, interesting. It's not trying to remind them of being a robot? suddenly this um what do we what do we think I, this is awesome this is it's an incredible song it's and so then cool. and and just when you're thinking like oh it's a pop song suddenly it yeah. goes into that part i know it's Again, him rebelling against it being too poppy, but I l- listen to the guitars. It's, uh, it's so great. And the harmonizing is incredible, too. Do they play this live very much? Yeah, they a good amount. Yeah. yeah. it's It must be fun to play. Yeah, I would imagine. So wait, Max Weinberg was sick for a lot of the recording of this? Oh, I didn't know that. I just read that. I just wondered how sick he was. Like, what? like It says he's suffering from an illness during most of the sessions. Diarrhea? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> wait, there's a source on here. Hmm, okay. Oh, uh, never mind. Was it diarrhea.com? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just pictures of diarrhea. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go to the last track on side one. By the way, when they put together the running orders, they they talk, and this will be close to our hearts, they they say Bruce got very into sequencing. Oh, the best. <laughs> we love it. Love it. Glad to hear he's finally getting into it, but yeah. he went through. Finally. He had them put together so many sequences and listened to them over and over yep. the same way that we've done yep. with REM albums and yep. stuff. And... Um, they talk about the four corners, how first song and last song on side one and first song and last song on side two uh-huh. were always the important oh, the, ones. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The four they, corners, yeah. That they would like make sure they're telling a story with and then totally. fill in the blanks in between. I remember when I would make mixtapes in high school. The, yes. The final uh, song of side one yes was so important because you it's got to be dramatic, but you, it, you also have to want to flip over the tape. That's like, right. Yeah. Um, So this is the last song on side one. This is Racing in the Street by Bruce Springsteen. Me and my partner 
Kind of a longer song. Now, so I would imagine this is here. the yes. last song on side one, right? Yeah, what I said right before we played it. Yeah. Oh, is that what you said? Sure. <laughs> nice I, to hear exactly knew, how much you're listening to me. No, I knew we were talking about the four corners, but so Promised Land is the first song on, on side two. Yeah. Um, this song kind of is the whole album to me in a uh-huh, way. Uh huh. Like the, the subject matter. He's essentially doing what he calls a sequel to Don't Worry Baby, uh-huh. where like the race car driver, it's three years later and uh, his life sucks. <laughs> uh-huh. And and the, the the girl that he wins in the race, isn't that interesting that like you used to be able to win yeah. a girlfriend yeah. in a race? I know. It's so crazy. <laughs> if I had known that growing up, I would have gotten Raced into racing all kinds cars. Of yeah. I but, mean, um, and what does she do? She just stands there and waits to see who see, wins who the race. Yeah, and then who she's gonna get it's with so after ridiculous. the race. But um, but basically, just uh, yeah, like Springsteen talks about how he didn't have a car; he had to hitchhike everywhere. But guys in New Jersey, they had cars, and he was always fascinated with them. Huh. So <laughs> he's mean, writing a song about what it might what, be like to be as yeah, cool as them, sort yeah. of. Thing. And he and I think they talk about how he, one of the band, one of the Edible Street Band members, came into his hotel room once, and he had like all these car magazines that he bought, trying to like study up on them, uh-huh. and he still got the details wrong in the lyrics of of these songs, where he like talked about a certain type of engine that wouldn't yeah. have been in a certain type of car and that's and, great. and the year after it came or when the album came out he was like oh yeah that's embarrassing I'm gonna change it when I sing it live yeah. and then later on he's like ah fuck that yeah Who why <laughs> it's so great because he does like we've said a few times in the Broadway show the first thing he kind of says when he comes out is I've never worked a blue collar job. My hands are fine. They're not, they are not the hands of a man who's worked for a living. I'm yeah. total poser. And so he, he's kind of delves into these different lifestyles. And- but he is talking about people he knew. I mean, a lot of the father, this is like Adam raised a cane is one of his first father songs where he's talking about his father. Mm-hmm. He does a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his father worked in a factory. He talks about how, he went into the factory to drop off lunch for his father and it was so loud and his father became uh, deaf uh-huh. essentially from working there and he was like nowadays you'd have people ear protection with ear protection sort, yeah. but back then people were like fuck that <laughs> and yeah. so uh, he was like calling for his dad like dad 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 and his dad couldn't hear him and he finally had to go around and like hold up the lunch and then yeah. he just his dad just like looked at him and he put the lunch down and then walked away Boy. And so just like, you know, kind of a strained relationship with his father who also had uh, uh, depression and yeah. uh, uh, mental health issues. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about a bunch of people he knows and is experienced, including his own family. But uh, yeah, is not uh, speaking from actual experience. But this is all about 
And, you know, people who say like, oh, Springsteen is all just about like car, like Prefab Sprout, the band. Yeah. They have a song called Cars and Girls, which is like uh, some things mean more, much more than Cars and Girls, which is like a slam on Bruce Springsteen songs at the time. This is 1985 after Born in the USA. Yeah. I kind of go like, no, he's talking about cars and girls, but he's talking about them in terms of like... It's like a way in for these larger themes. He's talking about American... Yeah. Icon- <laughs> iconography. <laughs> I- iconography. Iconography, yeah. Oh, man, I had a I had a stroke in the middle of that sentence. You took a big bong rip right before <laughs> that sentence. <laughs> okay, he's talking about iconography. No, he's talking about these images that are part of culture yeah. but he's not he doesn't want to be seen as a revisionist like a rockabilly like you know stray cats guy yeah he's using them to talk about he's they're talking about like how after vietnam it felt and and i think our generation specifically <laughs> no but everyone now kind of relates to this in terms of covid you know how everyone talks about like oh the past three years it could have been three years or three seconds yeah or an eternity yeah. The Vietnam was sort of like that for his generation. Yeah. And everyone just like the hangover of Vietnam is happening with people right now. Yeah. And that's what he wants to talk about is just like these American images. He's using all these images to. They have always been emblematic of the American dream. Right. And he's taking them and kind of writing about what's underneath it. Yes. And like, oh, okay. Yeah. The American dream is achievable, but everyone's depressed like me right that's right that's right <laughs> right right everybody and, and every i mean honestly like yeah most yeah. people most people are um what do we think of racing in the street well i kind of agree that it's it, it feels and it, it's kind of emblematic of the album um and is sort of a a, a mood piece more mm-hmm. than a song in a lot just to, for me personally so it's not my favorite but i also i do like it and it's I'm, do you like the other version of it that we'll, we we're not going to do uh an album about about the prom or an episode about the promise right now all the outtakes that they turned into an album but uh, the remake on on the promise is or the different version uh called promise or called racing in the street 78 i mm-hmm. think is i don't i don't know how different it is. is it just a completely different it's version? like a different sound and lyrics oh yeah we should listen like that. to that i mean not now but maybe when we do uh, yeah. the rest of that okay so that's the end of side one let's go into side two this is called the promised land First verse and chorus, the promised land. Oh, the, by the way, when I 
the guitar part that Springsteen held up the album is is coming on up. This? Yeah, is on this. Is it a solo? It's just a little bit of solo before yeah. the sax solo. This is another song that has a sax solo, by the way. Sax used very sparingly. Yeah. Um, when it comes up, I'll point it out. What do, what do we think of The Promised Land? It's my favorite on the album. This is your favorite? You said you weren't going to tell me. Well, you don't know if I'm telling the truth right That's now. True, That's true, yeah. yeah. For every truth you tell... Four lies. Four lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this song so much. They say that this is a victim of the muffled snare sound that they were getting, this song. Can't hear it right now, obviously, because it's too muffled. He's not playing. You mean they feel that way? Yeah. Okay, wait, let's hear if the guitar part is this. This is it. So what was here? Nothing, it just wasn't on there. Oh, shit. It was just more of the dinking, dinking. Held up the entire album just to put that back in, but it's great. So great. He knows what he's doing. What do you think of this song? It's great. I mean, I I sort of, again, it's it's knowing what it becomes live. It's so anthemic live. Yeah. This studio take is a little like, yeah, it's good. But I mean, live, it's it's incredible. I love the combination of sax into harmonica, which is like such a weird combination that you don't really hear in too many songs. Um, and the melody is just incredible. Yeah, it's it's so so good. Um, I I went and saw Bruce in Bruce. Yeah, you talked about it many times. Um, I went and saw him in Atlanta when I was working on a movie. Oh, oh no, this is new information. I thought yeah. you were going to talk about the Madison Square Garden show you just. No, said. no. Uh, but I did. I saw him in Madison Square Garden just like six months ago. <laughs> what about um, the Culture Club? Uh, he. Uh, so we went and saw him. At, I was working on this movie and Sarah Vowell had a small part in the movie. And so I ended up going to see Bruce Springsteen with Sarah Vowell. Wow. And Promised Land is her uh, favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Were you guys just high-fiving the shit out of each yeah. other this entire it's time? It's like, holy shit. And you're like, I'm high-fiving Sarah Vowell. Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> okay, uh, track two on side two. This is a song called Factory. Sort of about his dad as well.
So this song is pretty much about his dad. He talks about how this was a way to communicate with his dad. Hmm. Like instead of talking to his dad, he would write songs about uh-huh. his dad. And then uh-huh. he also talks about like his whole stage persona. He goes, like I would write about people like my dad. I would dress like uh-huh. my dad in a co- in a costume sort of to uh-huh. honor him. And everything about what I was doing was sort of to honor him and people like him. And then suddenly it just became who I was. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, because he talks about it. he's kind of a poser, yeah. like just an artistic guy who, you know, sings about this stuff. But it was all because I think he was trying to communicate with his, yeah, with his, his father. Dad. Yeah. What do you think of Factory? I love the song. I think it's beautiful and cool and very you know, you can kind of feel the building blocks to what people think of when they think of Bruce Springsteen in right. these. When you hear about a song called, they they talk about like Springsteen refrigerator magnet poetry, yeah. where like they're like little girl is one uh-huh. and cars and, you and know, this one's factor- called factory. It's called factory. It's, yes. So this, and, and it's not called the fudge factory, which no, is no, big. no. Uh, that comes later. <laughs> Um, but that's, this, that's what Max Weinberg had. This and Born to Run are definitely like all the kind of building blocks are there. Yeah. But, you know, I I, I really like this song a lot. It's, again, it's so slow. I, I like the melody and it's so slow. It's yeah. one of those ones where it's like, oh man, you you just really want to put like the slowest totally. non-hits on the record totally. because you want to talk about these issues and you want to evoke a mood. So it impedes my enjoyment of it a little bit, yeah. but, it, but it's, Obviously, a great artistic. Statement. I love how spare it is. Too. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. This is uh, a song called "Streets of Fire." Another movie title. Became a movie though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not <laughs> the movie did not come before <laughs> the song. Strong! 
Jimmy Iovine talks about how witnessing Bruce Springsteen sing this in, this is like one take, is one of the most incredible things he's ever seen. It's an incredible vocal. Yeah, his performance, just all the different things he's doing. Yeah. You know, the different types of singing he's doing. It's amazing. As a song, what do we think? Uh, I like this song. It's funny because if it weren't for a movie being called Streets of Fire, <laughs> I never would think of this song as being like an iconic Bruce Springsteen song. But 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 it was so influenced whoever made the movie. Streets yeah. Of Fire so for it, some reason, I always think like, oh, this is one of the iconic Springsteen. It's the same songs. thing with Moonlight Mile, the Rolling Stones song. S- yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, it's like, oh, that is. Oh, that it must be one of their movie. Must be one of their important songs. Yeah. Then it's like fine. I, I think the vocal performance is incredible, but it's not like one of my favorites. It's another songs. like mid-tempo, yeah. slowy as well. Yep. Um, I feel like it could have used a little ramp up right here after Factory. Yes, Factory and this next to each other yeah. are, are a little uh, tough to listen to, but it, like an incredible, if you're just listening to one song and you yeah. put pop on that one, you'll yeah. be like, holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty great. Okay, so then second to last song is the first single on the album. He's just burying it. Weird. Um, and this is Prove It All Night by Bruce Fritz. based on a conversation he had with a cab driver where the cab driver was just like on a monologue the entire 45 minute trip or something and was like sounds fun <laughs> this is before they had uh, uber uh, the quiet setting yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um a good song came out of it but it, it about where the cab driver was saying like well you know you go, you go to work uh, five days a week and you gotta prove it to your boss and then you got at home you gotta prove it to your wife all night and then on the weekends you gotta prove it to your kids it just never ends hmm. um, like the responsibilities Jesus. I guess that you have to to your your boss your wife your kids to anyone but yourself yeah you know like you have no time for yourself or whatever but he was so struck by that he it's wrote a song sax is back I'm becoming a sax maniac yeah a sax addict <laughs> yep um, so I don't think this is one of the, it's interesting that it's the first single. Cause I, I think there are two iconic songs, Badlands and the promise. Yeah. And this is like, oh, by the way, the great guitar solo. Is that Bruce? It seems like it. They, they, in the documentary, they show Bruce shredding yeah. on a bunch of stuff and he's incredible at it. This might be Nils. Is Nils Lofgren in the band here? You know, that's a good question. Is Nils here yet? I don't think he is. 
No, he's not. Could be Little Steven. It could be Little Steven. It doesn't but he's, sound as much Little like Steven's Bruce. a rhythm a rhythm guitarist. I know. You kind of forget how good of a guitarist Bruce Springsteen cool, is because awesome guitarist. because he talks about how he in his previous band he was just going to be a guitarist. He thought. But then he realized he was not as good as other guitarists. So he's like, so I decided I had to start writing songs because that was something I could be unique at. But he's he's an awesome like soloist. Yeah. I love it when he has guitar solos. But yeah, I don't think this is like as iconic as the other two. So no. it's so strange. It's poppy, which is good. But this is the record company going like, well, I guess this is probably the most poppy thing on the record. So let's put it out. Weird but choice you, for a first single. You can see why they didn't put because of the night on here with this because yeah. they would be a little too similar too similar uh, how do you think about uh, prove it all night or what do how you do think I about think it? about it yeah. well <laughs> I first put the song into my head uh, I think it's awesome I love the song it's great but it's not it's not one of the two iconics though no <laughs> not one of the two icons <laughs> All right, this is the final song on the album. This is the titular Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. Stick. on the edge of town what do you think you think when you get to the edge of town there's going to be quite a bit of light yeah i mean you're like finally out of this shitty ass dark town but But not on this town no it's all around the edge well i mean it's sort of like when you're baking a pie sure the edges a little more brown than especially if you don't take it out of the oven on time (laughs) exactly i mean Darkness on the edge of the 99% pie. 99% of pies are burned. Oh, easily. That's why when you get one that's not burned, it tastes so uh, good. I do love a burnt pie, though. Oh, burnt pie. <laughs> Give me a burnt pie. Uh, I think this song is fucking rad. Yeah. 
So good. One of my favorites um, on really? the record. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, this is probably my third favorite on the record. What's um, your first? I think Badlands. Badlands yeah. is so good. What's your second? I think Promised Land. Yeah. And then uh, then then Darkness on the Edge of Town. I love the eh, 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 so good. Edge of Town. I'm um, speaking of the Darkness on the Edge of Town. I've I made th- I made this joke on Twitter. Candy's Room though is pretty great. Candy's Room is great. Okay. I, I made this joke on Twitter about the album cover. If you can look up the album cover, uh, go ahead and and look it up. But um, I I was making this joke about like what Springsteen was trying to communicate with the photographer, like where he's like, okay, so it's about this town, and there's a creeping darkness on the edge of it that kind of permeates. And the photographer's like, yeah, 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 just go stand over there yeah. next to my grandma's <laughs> windowsill. That's the thing is the photographer says he thinks that the album cover and is indicative. Of the themes of the album. Okay, so so watching the documentary, I see what what they're talking about. So essentially, like when it's square, by the way, you see the flow the floral wallpaper uh-huh. that's next to the the window blinds. It's essentially just like Springsteen standing there in a leather jacket with a dumb look on his like a, right. like a no look on his face in front of these like old ass looking window blinds and and floral wallpaper that looks like it's grandma's house, right? Yeah. And this is from the test shoot, so. This is all like test photos he was uh-huh. doing just to get comfortable or whatever uh-huh. and figure out what they were doing. And then when they saw them, they're like, oh, this is the characters that he's talking about. This is the kind of house they would live in. This is the kind of guy. He's not posing or anything. It's not an album cover. This is just a guy hanging out in a house. Uh-huh. And the look on his face is so kind of nothing. Yeah, He's not posing for a picture. This is This is kind of what the album is, is about the... He looks like a person trapped in this town. Guys. Yeah. So that's why it's so, it's just such a crazy. But to me, he looks like a rock star. Well, yeah, he's Bruce Springsteen. You but, know, he's he is a rock star. But back then, that looked like a regular guy. I guess uh, maybe, just because yeah. he's Bruce Springsteen, we just think he always yeah. looks amazing. But it's, it's so funny because it could be anything. It could be a painting. It could yeah. be you know, a photograph of like, you know, like the Joshua tree or something, you know, but it's, nope. It's like, Hey, go stand over here in my grandma's house. Some blinds. Yeah. But it, but it worked. I'll tell you that much. Um, so that is darkness on the edge of town. Um, uh, before, before we talk about how we feel about it, I, we do want to talk about two of the outtakes, which became major, major hits. Yeah. Um, the first one we've talked about it before because the night, so essentially, um, Springsteen writes this song because the night or half writes it, um, doesn't write some of the lyrics, I think. Um, but he knows it's a love song. He doesn't feel comfortable writing a love song. He says he's too cowardly to like put a love song on a record. Yeah. So he doesn't, he, so like everyone's like, this is a hit Bruce. And he goes like, I'm not going to finish it. And Jimmy Iovine, who is trying to make it as a record producer, um, starts recording, Patty Smith's record at the same time they're doing this record. And he goes, well, can I give it to Patty? Cause she doesn't have a single. She doesn't yeah. have a hit single on, on her record. And Bruce is like, yeah, I'm never going to finish it. Give it to Patty Smith. So Patty Smith gets it. Um, meanwhile, she is, she's in the middle of this burgeoning romance with her, the person who becomes her husband, yeah. um, Sonic, uh, Lenny Sonic Smith. Is that his name? Um, and, He's maybe on tour or something, but she like sits around her apartment in New York waiting for him to call for hours. Yeah. And he and he's not calling. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, you and I have been in this position as well back in the days before cell phones and texts where you're just like sitting by the phone waiting for like this call that's supposed to come. That's right. So she's like not interested in the tape she was sent, but at a certain point hours go by and she's like, fuck, this dude's not calling me. So she pops in the tape and she's like, I didn't want to like it, but I listened to it over and over and over again. And by the time Lenny called hours and hours later, I'd written all the lyrics, all the missing lyrics about him and about waiting for him to call. And thank God this happened because it was my one and only hit single that I've ever had. (laughs) So wait, she wrote some of the lyrics? Yeah, so they have a co-writing credit on it. Oh, interesting. Um, because he, he basically was unfinished. Um, and is this version, the unfinished, ver- the, the one he sent her or that was yes, sent he to sent, her? He sent her the unfinished version. She rewrote the lyrics, recorded it with Jimmy Iovine, becomes a hit. Yeah. Later when he's doing the outtakes record, um, he does Patti Smith's version of the lyrics. And, and anytime he does it live, he sings Patti Smith's version of the lyrics. But the, the version that's on the promise he he finished it in 2010, or he finished it. Way a lot back of the then. stuff on 20, in the promise they finished in 2010. Oh, like they the, did. They would do vocal. They would do just some overdubs. Sometimes a whole whole new vocal. Oh, take. I thought it was just all like outtakes from Darkness on the Edge of Town. It's songs from Darkness on the Edge of Town that some of the time some of the time they didn't have a good recording or something, but they right. had like videotape of them rehearsing it. And oh, so they did a totally new recording of it. Oh, so wow. I had no idea. Yeah, but let's hear a little of Because the Night, um, because this became a major hit. Oh, for yeah. pa- and and when he heard it, he's like, oh yeah, this is a hit. Huge get, hit. It, get it off the album. Huge hit for 10,000 Maniacs. 10,000 Maniacs as well. Even bigger for 10,000 Maniacs. This is really bigger. I think this was number... 13 or 16 for Patti Smith, and it was like maybe 8 for 10,000 Maniacs. So yeah, I mean, it's great. Just Bruce Springsteen saying like, "Nope, don't want anyone no to hear me doing that." Yeah, that would be too popular. And then the other one that happened that it happened with is a song that he wrote for Elvis Presley oh, because yeah. he's sit, he's sitting around going like, one day going, Elvis needs a hit. Yeah, <laughs> he needs another hit single, and I'm gonna write it. So he writes this song for Elvis Presley, mails it to Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley dies before he gets it. And so then, oh, so Elvis never heard it. Elvis never heard it. Ah. But so he's like, "Well, it's too much of a hit. I don't want to do it um, because, again, the record company will make it into a single. Yeah. It'll be a big giant. All that hit. thing where they sell albums. Yeah. And- so he doesn't want to do it. So he gives it to uh, the Pointer Sisters, and this is fire, and it becomes a made. I think number three for the Pointer Sisters. Yeah, it's huge. By the way, when this album came, or when this song was really popular, they never do this anymore, but the part where it goes, I turn on the radio, the Pointer Sisters re-recorded it for every 
popular radio station, and so they were, they were, they did versions for every radio station, which were the one I that I heard was I turn on KFI. Really? <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear a compilation of all of those that they did for different radio stations. They never do it anymore. I I would not be interested in hearing that. <laughs> going to be honest. So that's a, a giant hit that they turned down for this. One of just two of the uh, seventy songs or so that they made for this record. Incredible. Yeah. So what is our final verdict on Darkness on the Edge of Town? Um, I think it's the album that had to happen to get him to the river and then to Nebraska and then Born in the USA. It's like that sort of creative stepping stone. He obviously needed to move away from the thing that broke him wide open. Right. And... I think that's a really tough thing to do. And it's, it's I think it's, it's an incredible album. It's not my favorite. I think there's some like, you know, it's a little spots. lugubrious in places yeah. for me where I'm like, but at the same time there, it's an incredible artistic statement that yeah. I respect as well. But, but there's some, some of the great songs on best it as well. rock songs ever on it. It's yeah. amazing. So even the parts that are that that were like oh that's a little kind of slow and not as uh I don't know poppy or interesting for us uh are incredible songs. So um I think a necessary step in Bruce's progression um did not sell as well as Born in the USA. Yeah. You mean Born or Born in Born to Run, sorry. Um and but but did fine you know and yeah. again was like a critical hit so yeah. uh let's bruce springsteen continue making records but um he may be in a place where he needs a hit at this point and then he his next album is a double album which yes. is a crazy <laughs> thing to do um okay well that's gonna do it for us we hope you enjoyed um darkness on the edge of town and maybe it's your favorite record of all time because it, you like how sparse and and depressing and bare bones and harsh it is and i and a lot of times i do like that about it that's the thing is that i th- th- like factory i love like so a lot of these like sparse depressing songs i think are, are really great yeah but it is a lot of people think it's his best album i mean yeah you hear that yeah. it is a lot of people's favorite a- a- everyone we're talking about is going to be someone's favorite probably aside from a few that we get to a little later um okay that's gonna do it for us we had a good time i had a good time adam did you have a good time um i will you know what let me think about that and i'll just write you an email okay yeah toss me off of an eem okay if you would (laughs) an eem that's what i'm calling them from now on all right we're gonna into we're gonna we're gonna call it there but until next time We hope that you have found what you're looking for. Bye.